Welcome to the CounterPoint Podcast. My name's Jeff Borup. Today, how the illusion of choice inhibits compromise. Question, do you feel free to stop listening to this right now? Take a minute to decide. Now let us explore your alternatives. Assuming no one has a gun to your head, then presumably, whether you continue to listen to this or not depends only upon your choice to do so, right? Undoubtedly, there are other, and likely far better, alternatives for you. In fact, it readily appears you have already made and will continue to make a multitude of decisions today. Whether or not to continue investing your time into this podcast is just one of them. Now looking back, were you really free? What if I told you that, in fact, you had no choice but to listen to this very sentence? That your idea of choice is merely an illusion or a parlor trick in your mind. Even if you now stop listening to this exact word, your decision to do so is still not your decision at all. At least not in the sense you think it is. But that choice, rather, is merely an inescapable chain reaction caused by neurophysiological events in your brain that far preceded any apparent conscious decision to act. These events are natural consequences of occurrences moments prior, which were also beyond your control. Neuroscientist and author Sam Harris quotes, The illusoriness of free will is as certain a fact to my mind as the truth of evolution. Choice as an illusion. Such is the case, according to Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett, two prominent scientists and well-known philosophers on the topic of free will. While there is some disagreement among the two, primarily over ascribing accurate meaning and or definition to the term itself, the thrust of the argument is the same. Freedom to choose, as it is commonly understood, is largely an illusion. In essence, the brain is no more than a mechanism, part of the universe's clockwork. And in your case, as in mine, each decision you are purportedly making right now is simply a necessary cause of events that happened moments before. You did not intend these events to occur, and you have no control over them. Who exactly is in control, then? In practical terms, it is impossible to think your thoughts before you think them. In fact, you no more decide the next thing you think than you choose the next word I say. Words, ideas, thoughts simply arise in your mind due to experiences and causes outside of your control. And although it seems like you voluntarily go through a conscious decision-making process, in actuality, your mind and body are merely experiencing an orchestrated series of neural events undergoing a predetermined reaction to circumstances prior. Is there another you inside you? No. To put it simply, you are not Tony Stark, living inside and operating the Iron Man bodysuit. Rather, you are the suit, and you've already come prefabricated to act and pre-wired to choose. The Origin of Action Isn't there something there, though? Isn't there anything special that we can attribute to the decisions that give rise to our actions, aside from our raw physical makeup relative to the circumstances we find ourselves in? Of course, it may be difficult to know for certain, or at least comprehend, but can anyone really say that they would behave any differently than, say, you do, if they hypothetically swapped out your physical properties, atom for atom? Is there something extra about you that makes you act differently? So, where do we go from here? 
If our choices really are just the inevitable product of immovable physical processes in the mind, some suggest that our society may need to collectively revisit how we think about such concepts as justice, punishment, and rehabilitation. In fact, it may be a basis for restructuring our entire legal system as we know it. Not necessarily implying that criminals should now be set free on the basis of insanity, but that we should at least make efforts at treating them more as beings destined to commit a criminal act, rather than as having made a conscious choice to commit one. A question of compassion. To elaborate further on this proposal, to what extent can the notion of no free will offer insight into how we approach other areas of our lives as well, particularly those involving social debate? What impact may this line of reasoning have on our overall negotiation strategies, for instance? Would our day-to-day -day interactions on social media websites change at all? Assuming our thoughts and choices are not our own, in a sense we think they are, and understanding how passionate we can be as adults about politics, religion, law, or otherwise, would we be so emotional and sometimes irrational, knowing that the other side is physically incapable of choosing to agree with our position? Would we argue so strenuously with someone who otherwise had a mental deficiency or some other form of physical impediment, hindering their capacity to decide in our favor? Shouldn't we rather take extra care to cautiously explain ourselves more fully? Why not, at the expense of a temporary win, seize each opportunity at dialogue as a means to better understand the other side and crystallize our own thoughts for future conflict? Would it not be better in the long run to plant small seeds deeply rooted in compassion and humility than to simply berate the supposed poor choices of your enemy? The Will to Compromise in the end, the hope is that, ironically, acknowledging our lack of choice may, in a sense, free us to approach contentious situations with a greater sense of compassion and disinterest for those who disagree with us. Indeed, it in the very least seems futile and immature under such circumstances to spark unnecessary emotional triggers or resort to extreme positions purely as a defensive measure, knowing that the other side is not consciously choosing to disagree with you, but simply is that way, as a matter of course should prompt us to approach our discussions understanding that we will never be be the mechanism for the miraculous change of heart that we desire. Likewise, we are empowered to better focus our efforts on what it is exactly both parties are actually trying to accomplish, and thus, perhaps with some added willpower, be more of a mind to grant reasonable concessions in order to achieve real, substantial progress. Are we suited to let change occur naturally? Is it possible to set aside goals of artificial victory in favor of understanding, collaboration, and mutually beneficial results? Is free will truly an illusion? Let me know your thoughts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.